This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and this is the Player Rating Show. Joining me today is Max Cohen from the Boot Room. This episode, we'll be discussing the performances of the Fulham players against Watford. We have much to discuss in this episode, but before we do anything else, I have to welcome my co-host back to the show. I've now talked to Max a great deal, but I enjoy talking to Max. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Russ. Yeah, it's... Uh... Second straight week, we got three episodes, and you know, this one's much more agreeable to talk about than the Manchester City loss, so I'll take this over that any day of the week. Totally agree with you, my friend, and what's great about this, and I keep saying this, and I've actually been tweeted about this, I'm enjoying doing these three, I guess you could say, versions of a post-match show each match. It's fun because we really dive into exactly what happened in different ways. One is just looking at it right after the match, we're just giving our reaction. The second one is our full post-match show, which is great because we can really analyze everything that happened during the match. And the third is more about the focus on the players. So we really get to look at their performances in more detail, and that's what we're going to do here. We are going to use the ratings from Ryan O'Donovan from Football.London to go through it and see if they match up, Max, with uh, what you would rate them. We'll, we'll do that. We also have an interesting article from Ryan that we're going to talk about as well. And that's how we're going to start, Max. Ryan wrote this. It's entitled, Defensive Issues Need Sorting and Mitrovic's Importance. Five key points from Fulham Draw. So I'm going to go through all of his five key points, and we're going to talk about it. I think it's a great way to discuss also what happened uh, on Saturday. And then after that, we will go through his player ratings and get yours as well. So let's start from the beginning. Here is what Ryan O'Donovan on London said. This is his first key point. Ryan Sessegnon starts at left back once more. This is what he wrote. Savisi Jokanovic made two changes once again for the visit of Watford, recalling Timothy Fosimensa and Calvin Chambers, but no Joe Bryan. That meant that Sessegnon, who also started at left back against Manchester City last week, was picked in that same position once more, despite Brian being fully fit for the game. He didn't even make the bench, and while Sessegnon grew into the game, his position for the goal was erratic, and he was often overrun on the left-hand side as Watford looked to double up on him in the first half. Last season, we saw the 18-year-old play at both left back and left forward, playing in the latter position with deadly effect as he scored 16 goals for his club during the course of the championship season. But Jokanovic has started to use him more as a left-back again this season, believing he did well against City and Raheem Sterling last week. It remains up for debate whether or not Sessegnon is better utilized for the forward or at left-back in the top flight. But with Luciano Vieto and Andre Sherrill playing so well, if Jokanovic doesn't pick Sessegnon at left-back, it may mean there's no place for the wonder kid in the side at all at the moment. Okay. Over to you, Max, and that is from Ryan O'Donovan. Obviously, this is a discussion on Ryan Sessegnon. 
What are your thoughts about this? Because this goes back to our discussion about Joe Bryan, but but more importantly, I think it goes to how does Savisa Jokanovic use Ryan Sessegnon moving forward? He brings up a great point about the three up front. Where does he fit if he continues to play Vieto and Sherla along with Mitro? Does he have to play him at left back? Do we have a change of formation? Maybe we move things around in certain matches as well. We talked about how Savisa had uh, tweaked with the formation in that game to a 4-2-3-1. Could that be a situation where you might see Sessegnon play a different role? So what are your thoughts about how Sessegnon was used and the impact that it has moving forward? Yeah, you know, the Sessegnon argument is really one of the most fascinating ones around Fulham right now, and it's actually the subject of uh, one of my next articles for the boot room. Okay. I'm going to take into a deep look into what, what, what the future holds for Sessegnon. Because you're right, it, it's, he's in such a weird state right now where last season, of course, he was our top scorer from that left-wing position, only really played there for the second half of the season. Um, but one thing about Sessegnon in that left-wing position is that, and I think why it didn't work out for him in the first couple matches in the Premier League, is that he's not a player who really grabs games by the scruff of the neck. He's not a player who's going to dominate matches. He's going to drift in and out, but when he gets his chance, he's going to take it. He's Superb. an opportunist. He's not, exactly. And... Right now, left back, that's where Slavisa sees him in the future. You know, I've talked about this a lot in the interview over the summer. Slavisa said, I see Sessegnon's future as a Marcelo-type player more than a Bale. He sees him as a top attacking left back at a top club, not as a left winger. And I think that's probably a fair assessment. I think Jokanovic knows Sessegnon better than anyone else. He's the one who really nurtured him, gave him this chance in the first team. And he thinks that Sessegnon doesn't quite have, you know, the skill or the attacking um, creativity to play left wing uh, in the Premier League or in a top flight. But what he does do is he's great at getting forward and getting in those spaces and finishing them off. So maybe a wing back role is more appropriate for him. Right now, at left back, I, I don't know if he is ready to play week in, week out at, in defense. I really liked how he played against City. And I'm going to agree a little bit, I disagree a little bit with Ryan. I, I don't think he was poor um, on Saturday. I think the position of the first goal. Certainly, you can say he got sucked in, but I think that's very much a effect of the terrible defending that led up to the goal rather than to blame Sessegnon. Sure. Um, and, I, and I thought he was, he, he was quite good. I thought he was confident. I thought there were a number of chances um, where he actually dispossessed Wofford players and was pretty sturdy. Um, most notably, that really nice challenge on the edge of the, edge of the box on uh, Pereira late on, where it could have easily been a penalty, but he timed it really well. So, Sessegnon, I don't think there are any really easy answers right now. Um, because he's right. I think Salisa very clearly favors Vieto um, in, in that position at the moment. Um, but one thing I would say about Vieto is I would like to see Sessegnon displace Vieto in left wing. I think Vieto, he's played very well. I'm not going to fault him at all. One thing I would say is Sessegnon's very clearly a superior finisher than Vieto. And there are chances Vieto got in really advanced positions on Saturday and didn't finish them. And if that's Sessegnon, that's a goal for me. For purely oh, that man. reason, I think Sessegnon should play left wing. But at the moment, I can't really fault Slavisa for not making that switch. Okay. Very interesting situation with how to utilize Ryan Sessegnon because it can affect a few players. You just talked about Vieto. We can also talk about Joe Bryan. We've talked about this. He's a player that I think can be your left back. But in Slavisa's mind, maybe he sees uh, a rotation with Sessegnon down the road. I, I don't know. Or just he's just trying to find a place for Sessegnon, trying to find a place for like we're talking about with Vieto. It's a, a fascinating situation because uh, I, I thought that Joe Bryan, Max, was going to be our left back. So that's why this is a little bit confusing. What are your thoughts about Bryan? Where does he fit in all this mix now? Yeah, it's very interesting. Obviously, when you know Ryan says a player got left off the bench and he's fully fit, that's wor- worrying yeah. to me. Because if you look at the bench, I mean, you see Cyrus Christie on there, and, you know, he's really the only other fullback option. I think I would say, you know, I think most people would rather have Joe Bryan than Cyrus Christie on the bench. But yeah. Salisa doesn't necessarily agree with that, which is interesting for me. Yeah. If he's not being preferred to Cyrus Christie, um, I, I don't really know what's going on back there. Because I think people would agree he's a more accomplished defender and, and you know, started the first couple of matches for us yeah. uh, in that left-back position. And, and as I said before, you can't really pinpoint one moment where, Brian turned in a bad performance. You know, he, he has been substituted off uh, when he started, which could be an indication that Salisa wasn't happy. But for what, it's kind of difficult to say. 
So I, I think it might be the situation that right now he's saying maybe you're not quite ready for the Premier League yet. I'm, I'm going to leave you out. Uh, you got to work hard and, and prove to me you deserve a place in the 18. Uh, ideally, I'd, I'd like to see Joe Bryan adapt and hopefully go back in that starting lineup in the, in the next couple of weeks. But right now, when you're being left out, when you're fully fit, that, that's very worrying. It is, and uh, I really penciled him in as uh, Fulham's left back. And then, obviously, we're talking about Ryan Session being uh, up front on the left. That's how I thought it was going to be. But then we have this situation with, like, we're talking about with Vieto, and there are a lot, a lot of moving parts. But Brian is just someone that I just assumed, and I guess I shouldn't assume. So we're going to have to see how this all plays out. I, I would like to see him go back at left back, give him another chance and see how that works. And I hope he gets that opportunity because I would hate to see him all of a sudden go down the pecking order to the point. I think you even mentioned like like a Rafa Sorez where, where we don't see him. He gets uh, left out of the squad entirely. I hope that's not the situation because I haven't seen, at least through my eyes, why he uh, is not getting more of an opportunity. But I'm not there. In training, I don't know exactly what's going on or what the thought process is, but it's just a, a little one that is a little bit concerning for me because uh, I had high hopes for Joe Bryan. Uh, j- just like with Matt Target, I looked like him to be that Matt Target, play that role, and uh, I thought it was starting that direction, but now we have uh, another situation. So very good point for Ryan in his article to bring that up. Number two, we have to talk about, we've already talked about, it's entitled Chaos Ensues Due to Fulham's Poor Shape. This is what Ryan O'Donovan, London, had as his second talking point. Quote, the first half defensive performance was a shambles and at times looked like a game of playground football. There was a lack of shape in communications on all accounts with players breaking forward and getting out of position without any real care of the space they were leaving or the problems it would cause. At times it looked like the back four had never met one another, let alone trained together and Fulham were very lucky their lack of shape didn't cost them more than just one goal. The kind of stuff should be improving as each day goes by, but this was the worst that I've seen Fulham in terms of defensive shape, and it will leave Jokanovic pulling his hair out. You need to be tactically disciplined in the Premier League, and today, Fulham weren't. On another day, they could have been blown away by a different team. Okay, so we're talking about the shape of the team. Your thoughts about what Ryan wrote there? Yeah, so much of that is down to just no one's familiar with each other. He made the point that it's like they never even met each other, but I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration, but you can yeah. see where he's going because we've used a different formation in almost every single, I think in every single match, you would say. Yeah. You know, there hasn't been a consistent back four, back five at all. No, Everyone's been switching out. I mean, even from last match, you know, um, Adoy came out of the starting lineup and Chambers came in, and of course that backfired. You know, Christie came out and Foster Menzies came in. There's just not consistency, which, you know, we almost took for granted at times during the second half of last season. We knew exactly what the squad would be, with the exception of the right wing position. Right. Ten other players, it was nailed on who would start. And this kind of takes us back to, you know, the earlier Slavisa days. I remember doing a couple of doing shows the last fall, almost a year, a year back from now. And we'd always be talking about what formation Slavisa would use. And I remember a particular match, you know, the home match against Bristol City on Halloween, where that was probably one of the low points yep. of the fall when he lost 2-0 at home. And Slavisa tried out that 3-5-2 formation, which I remember I was really crying out for. A lot of fans I were crying out that, for yeah. it. Yeah, saying, play 3-5-2. It's, it's, it's seemed perfect for our, for our system. You know, we'll get Seth in attacking, whatnot, whatnot, et cetera. And it really backfired, it and we lost 2-0. It was, a, it was an absolute mess. It just goes to show that, you know, we really take it for granted, you know, that we have a consistent starting eleven. And right now we're seeing it's very difficult when you bring in new players and you don't know what your best team is. You know, it's late September. You would have expected we're going to have at least somewhat of a settled squad right now. But it's just almost like Slavisa bingo, you know, some have said what the starting 11 is going to be. And until we can find that consistent, I mean, just got to focus on the back four right now. Sure. Because we know Betsk is going to be there. We just need a consistent center-back pairing and we need consistent fullbacks. And without that, I think these problems are really going to continue. Lack of continuity, and uh, I find it interesting that Ryan mentioned players really acting like they don't know each other, and that's actually a a good point that he brought up. It's very interesting, and uh, his third tracking point goes right with this, and it's uh, entitled Defensive Concerns Continue, because we're talking about the shape, and obviously we're talking about the defensive issues. This is what Ryan wrote. 
Quote, and that leads on to defensive concerns. Fulham have conceded the second most amount of goals in the Premier League this season, only one behind Carter City and Huddersfield Town. Things don't seem to be getting any better. Watford could have scored a bag full in the first half, and another day probably would have. But you don't get the sense that Fulham are comfortable defending whatsoever in this division. Dennis Adoy came on and added some stability in the back line, but there were still times sloppy errors nearly saw them concede, like when Chambers gave the ball away cheaply, allowing Troy Deeney to run one-on-one with Marcus Bettinelli before Adoy got back to clear the danger. It has to improve, and the improvement has to start immediately. The side may have a strong attack, but if they continue defending like they have done in the first six games of the season, they'll find it very hard not to get dragged into a relegation dogfight. And there is the word that I don't want to hear, honestly, relegation. And, of course, he's talking dogfight, battle, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to hear it, but he brings up a valid point. If you keep on having these issues, Max, it could get into that battle. We don't want to be there, so they have to fix this issue. But this goes with the lack of shape, the continuity. So here we are. We're talking about the defensive issues, and it really comes down to the mistakes that they continue to make. I'm glad that he brought up the Chambers mistake. These mistakes – can really hurt you and cause goals. And thankfully, in this case, it didn't. Yeah, and I really have one response to that, and, and that's Tim Ream. When yeah. Tim Ream comes back, What's listen, we're all hoping. That, that everything changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there, there's an old saying that goes, when a player is out injured, his quality increases like fivefold. You know? <laughs> Whenever a player is out and we're all thinking, oh, he's going to come back and change it. His, his estimation almost increases in our minds because he becomes almost a messiah figure who returns and is going to make everything okay. <laughs> and with, with Tim Ream, I think maybe that's a bit unfair because he was our player of the season last season. Yep. But I think right now we're expecting a lot of him when he comes back. Yeah. And it's almost similar to the Mawson situation, right? Ream has been injured for the per- first like month and a half, whatever, the season, uh, similar to Mawson. And when Mawson came back, he wasn't the defender we, we thought he would be. And I think we have to prepare ourselves for that with Tim Ream. When he comes back, he's not going to be match fit he's not going to be up to speed immediately and we might have to wait a couple of matches before he returns to full fitness and becomes his old self so that's another worrying proposition he's not just going to come right back in the team and make everything okay he's not going to be captain america from the off so another thing to consider that you know these players are coming back from injury and it takes a while to return to your top four this is true and uh we are putting a, a lot of stock into the return of Tim Ream, but uh, as a player that we've watched a great deal, Max, I think that he can bring that calming effect that they really need at this point. Will he be back to the player that he was last season off of this injury? I think that, like you mentioned, it takes time, but I think uh, sooner than later, we need to see that and see how it all works. I think Savisa needs to see it as well because this whole situation defensively needs to settle, or like Ryan said, I don't want to talk about the word, but we will be get, getting dragged into something that I don't want Fulham to get dragged into. So they need to fix this issue, and maybe he's a main cog of it. Only time will tell. But, again, it's a good point to bring up all of the defensive issues because I think uh, when you look at all the good potential that Fulham have, the one thing holding them back, and it's a major thing, is the uh, defensive issues. So. Very good for Ryan as that being his third talking point. That really goes with his second talking point. His fourth talking point is this. Savisa Yokovic's halftime substitutes. Obviously, we've talked about this. And this is what Ryan wrote. Fulham need a change at halftime, and Savisa Yokovic provided it by bringing on Adoy and Fuerteite in place of Alfie Mawson and Kevin McDonald. They raised eyebrows at the time, but Adoy cut a composed figure in the heart of defense, providing some solidity and the otherwise flimsy back four with his ability to get on the ball and play football meant that Fulham had a base from which to build their attacks upon. Aite's introduction meant that Stefan Johansson and Jean-Michael Serri could sit deeper as a defensive midfield pairing, cut in the space that Watford were exploiting between Fulham's midfield and defense in the first half. That allowed Luciano Vietro and Andre Sherwood to combine even more than they have done in the past, with Sherlock sitting at the top of the flat three that include Ayete on the left and Vieto on the right. The pair caused problems going forward after the break, with Vieto laying the ball on a play for Alexander Mitrovic to net his fifth of the season and get a point for Fulham. 
Jokanovic was quick to play down his role in making the substitutions and credited his side with turning the game around. But the head coach deserves as much credit as anyone else for his role in the turnaround. Totally agree. We've talked about this on the post-match show. Your thoughts about what Ryan writes here, I think it backs up what we talked about. Yeah, and I'm going to focus on, on the Adoy point because I think a lot has been made of Adoy's defensive performance, and rightfully so. He was excellent. And one other part of his game, which I don't think deserves, I don't think gets enough credit, is he is a player who can start an attack, similar to Tim Ream. When Adoy's on the ball, the attack starts from him and starts on the ground. With players like Mawson and Chambers, their, for, their first um, instinct might be play more of a diagonal, lofted ball in the air, which is much less successful and might be go out of bounds or get dispossessed. With Adoy, he's using this new trend of center backs nowadays where he really takes the ball from the back and dribbles forward because teams are going to uh, lay back in space. He attacks that space, plays it out wide to the, to the fullbacks or plays it up front uh, to our attacking players and really drives and takes his space and really starts our attack higher up the pitch than most traditional center backs would because he's quite comfortable with the ball at his feet, just like Reem. He can kickstart attacks on the ground and start our attacking uh, possession-based football you know, from a more recessed position. So that's also another part of his game that I think really adds to Fulham's, Fulham's play. Okay, very good. I'm glad that you mentioned that. And uh, when we look back at this match, maybe in half the season so, if we ever look back here, we're going to remember the, the uh, substitutes at, at the half because they really made a difference. And I'm glad that he did that. We also saw a, a tweak to the shape where we went to 4-2-3-1. Uh, very good by uh, you to mention what you just did and, of course, what Ryan wrote. Final point is a pretty obvious talking point. Alexander Mitrovic scores again. Max, as you mentioned, he scored more goals than uh, Newcastle United have scored as a team, <laughs> which is amazing. I love that stat. This is what Ryan wrote. Another game, another Mitrovic goal. He's in red-hot form for Fulham and sits at the top of the goal-scoring charts alongside Chelsea's Eden Hazard as he's continued his form from last season. If anyone needs to see it again, yesterday proved just how important Mitrovic is to the way Fulham play, and it's probably the key to them staying up this season. It's clear that he loves Fulham and that Fulham loves him. Long may that continue. Okay. We've talked about Mitro. On top of that, there's been some speculation linking Mitro with Chelsea that they could be interested in him. And uh, Ryan actually wrote an article uh, talking about Diego Costa, that role, and and uh, Mitro's role with Fulham. But I'm glad that Ryan here is talking about how Mitro loves Fulham. And uh, for people that are concerned that he might leave, I think it's going to be very difficult for him to leave personally. This is just my opinion, Max, because it's such a good fit. He obviously sees that. He loves the club. The fans love him. And I, I just think it's a love fest. I find this hard to see Alexander Mitrovic leaving us anytime soon, let alone in January, even for the other club in form. And I'm glad that Ryan is writing about this. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, for Mitrovic, Mitrovic to succeed, he needs a, he needs a number of factors. He's he's a player who needs to start basically every match, and he's a player who needs to feel loved by the fans, and he's a player who needs to have a manager who trusts him. Right. And he has all three of those things at Fulham, and that's why I think he's such a good fit, as you mentioned. Exactly. If he moves to a bigger club like Chelsea, as there have been links, you said, he's not going to have those that security. He's not going to have that trust. And he's not going to have that same relationship uh, with Mauricio Sarri that he has with Slavisa Kanovic. So that's why I just. I agree with you. I just cannot see him moving to a bigger club, at least not at least not this early um, in his career at this moment. Uh, he just loves Fulham, and the best thing about it is, you know, you can see the passion. I mean, when he was just yelling yes in, into the camera after, right, looking at the hand in the end in, in, in such joy after scoring the equalizer, you see what this club means to him. And he was even, you know, tapping the badge after scoring the goal against Sunderland last season in April when he wasn't even a Fulham player yet, when he was still on loan. And you could really tell then that he was going to be a special special talent, and a player who truly fights fights for Fulham, loves Fulham. Um, and I can't see him going to Chelsea. I think that's ridiculous, honestly. So do I, but I just find it interesting that we keep seeing links. And, and again, I've been saying it for a few days now. So this is just something that I think is going to happen because he's a, a player in form. And, and the line that may, may continue, but that doesn't mean that he's going to leave, even if clubs are interested. I just want to mention that because – 
it will continue. It wouldn't just be Chelsea that would be the last team that would be linked to him. And, uh, boy, would you like to be a fan of Newcastle right now thinking about what could have been? But that's a different system. And that also plays to what you're talking about, Max, because there's all this talk about did Newcastle make a mistake. I'm going to change my mind on this. I, I was saying that they did make a mistake by doing that. No, they didn't make a mistake because it didn't work with him and Benitez in the system. It was a bad fit. This is the perfect fit. So for him to leave, it was right for both teams. Yeah, and Benitez is a manager who he's, he's, he's going to be stubborn. It's going to be, it's my way or the highway. Right. And if Mitrovic didn't work there, I mean, you can't fault them for, for saying, listen, it's not going to work out. You have to leave. That being said, I think it's foolish that, you know, Rafa has that mentality because obviously Mitrovic is, is a player of some considerable talent. But just by the fact that he's top scorer in the Premier League. I don't care if it doesn't fit in your system. I think you change your system to accommodate someone who scored more goals than your entire club has all season. You know, that that to me, I think you're right. If they're going to be stubborn and close-minded about it, then sure, let him leave. Let let him flourish at a club where he's going to be appreciated. But the question has to be, why didn't you appreciate him? Why didn't you see this talent that was right that was right before your eyes? And and that's going to totally. be a big failing of Newcastle United, honestly. It's a a tough one because. If you're a fan of that team and you're thinking, why didn't it work? And you see the goals he's scoring for Fulham, and uh, you're thinking, why didn't it happen for us? Uh, You have to look at your team straight in the face and say, ask yourself that question. And, again, uh, it's uh, fascinating because this is the fit. This goes back to why I can see Mitro being with Fulham for a while because the uh, situation just works so well. It's the perfect fit. All right, my friend, let's now go to player ratings. Let's go to Ryan's player ratings and see if they match up with what you rate these players. We've talked a great deal about a lot of these players, so we'll just go a little bit more into it. Let's start with Marcus Bettinelli. Ryan O'Donovan from Football Doll London gives him a seven. This is what he says. A strong performance from the keeper who was commanding of his area, made some important saves, largely a spectator in the second half. Your thoughts. Do you agree with Ryan's rating? Yeah, for me, it's going to be an eight. Um, I thought without him, again, similar to what we said last week, it could have been a lot worse and we could have lost this match. The two saves um, that really jump out to me is the one-on-one from uh, Andre Gray when, you know, Mawson had that terrible terrible backhand. What was he thinking there? Uh, That that almost was a certain goal for me. And then the other one was later on, uh, Isaac's success almost won it very late for Washington. And Benelli got very well in the save. Uh, you know, I've talked about Ben a lot. I'm not going to hard on again, but just again, he is a Premier League goalkeeper, and I'm just very glad he got his opportunity to show that. Again, I'll say it. He's proven me wrong. He's doing a great job, and I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to say I was wrong. But, but Russ, I, I'm not going to say I, – I think you, you, you might say that, but I don't think you're, – you're not the problem here. I, I think you were always willing to give him a chance. Yeah. There's some people who, who would say, listen, you can't say anything bad about Fabry because you know, it, there were people who were – you were very much reasonable in your opinion. Yeah. I looked on Twitter, and, and there are people even now who were, who were posting stats that Benelli had the worst save percentage of starting keepers in the – like, and they were still actively trying to belittle Benelli's achievements in the face of his good performances. And that's just mind-boggling for me. Some people almost seem like they had an agenda against him, yeah. which just makes no sense for me, considering how Benelli's – I mean, he's a player that's ultimately so likable, and he's such a good Fulham success story. I, I just don't understand why people would still trying to find the false in his performances now. The only thing I can think of is that they prefer Fulham to look at these other two goalkeepers, like you mentioned, Fabri and Rico, that they spent this money. Why not look at one of these other goalkeepers? I know one's on loan. And uh, because we talked about before, Max, everyone's looking for upgrades in several positions. And uh, many fans, including myself, thought that Goalkeeper was a place where you needed to upgrade. But here's the thing. If you have a player that's not letting you upgrade the position because they're raising their game, you have to give them credit. That's the way that I've always looked at it. And Marcus Bettinelli, I wasn't sure if he could be a Premier League goalkeeper. He deserves the credit. And we can look at stats all we want. And this is my whole thing with stats. I think that they can be extremely helpful. But your eyes, I think, should be the first thing you look at. What do your eyes tell you when you're watching him? And I know we're just watching so far away here in the United States, but we can get a good sense for what's going on there. 
and someone that's there and, you know, sees it right in front of them, they obviously get a very good sense. How could they be against what's going on with uh, what they're seeing? Because Marcus Benelli is getting the job done, and you have to give him credit. That's just the way I look at it. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Ryan Session. We started off by talking with him with uh, Ryan's article on his talking points. He was a part of it. He gives Ryan Session a five. This is what Ryan O'Donovan wrote. Positioning was all over the place for Watford's first goal. Struggled with the left flank as Watford looked to double up the youngster. We've talked about this. He did focus a lot on that first goal, but there's plenty to blame to go. Do you think five is uh, a correct uh, rating, or would you go higher or lower? Uh, I think, again, Ryan's being a, a bit harsh. Maybe I'd say probably six, six and a half, maybe seven for Cessna. I, 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 was, okay. I was honestly impressed by him. I think the one I mentioned earlier was you know, very late on, he timed the challenge right on the edge of the penalty area so well. If he mistimes that, that's a penalty, you know, very late on, and Watford goes on to win it. But he showed a lot more composure, I think, most others in that back four today, with the exception of Adoy. And I thought he got forward to good effect, too. I think his role in the goal is probably um, a bit underestimated. He makes the run uh, after Sherlock shots get deflected. And I think that causes Yanmat just to maybe second-guess where Vieto is. And if you look at the challenge, Yanmat kind of goes in weak to that Vieto challenge when Vieto kind of heads it by him. And I think that's because he's almost thinking, where's Cessignon? Right. Is it right for me to fully commit to this challenge, knowing Cessignon's kind of right behind me? And that might have led to his hesitation, and that might have led to the goal. So, again, kind of Cessignon getting, getting into good attacking positions. I'm going to give him a six and a half. Okay, excellent. All right, let's talk about these two players together. I want to do it together because uh, people have asked me about both of the center backs, so I thought it's fair to talk about them together. But let's rate them separately, and let's talk about them separately. Let's talk about Callum Chambers and Alfie Mawson. Now, Ryan O'Donovan gave them both a four. This is what Ryan O'Donovan from Football London said about Chambers, and then I'll mention what he said about Mawson. Looked really uncomfortable on the left side of the center-back partnership in the first half. Did better in the second half, but Fulham's positional play was all over the place, and he looked prone to a mistake. That was Chambers, what he says about Mawson. Gave the ball away too easily at times and struggled with the physical presence of Dini up top. Was hauled off at halftime for a doy. So those are his ratings. They're both the same four. So let's talk about both. Do you agree with these two ratings? Let me just say for me, I want to separate the two of them a little bit because I think Callum Chambers was a little bit better than Alfie Moss. And not that he was good. He was a little bit better in my book. And I think... Savisa backs it up because he took off Mawson, but as we also know, Savisa had said that he could have taken off more players. I don't know if he would have taken off Chambers if he had the opportunity. He picked Mawson. I thought that was the right player to take off, honestly. So let's talk about the ratings for both of these players and share your thoughts on them. Mawson was clearly the worst player, as you mentioned, so I might even venture to give him a three and a half okay. just due to his – they both had a really – they are both very culpable for the first goal. Um, so that's a disaster. They just had no idea what they were doing. The ball bounced off them. They lost their man. It was just a horror show. You know, from a throw-in situation to a goal is always disappointing. None of, none of them looked confident in the back. But I think Boston has to be singled out for worse because, you, as you mentioned, he was brought off at halftime. Whenever a player gets brought off at halftime, let alone a defender, yeah. let alone a center half, that's just so rare. And that showed you it was really an exceptionally poor performance. And, again, the one that really sticks out to me because it, it was just ridiculous was, his back header uh, oh. that was easily in a center. Because, I mean, Mawson is a player who just should not be doing that, who's played in the Premier League. He's played a couple of seasons in the Premier League. I mean, he's played the England youth level. He should know better than that. He should know his awareness, and that's just very disappointing to see. And he just wasn't good, at, wasn't good all, all half. Um, how much of that is due to him coming back from injury? How much of that is due to him not really being comfortable yet? You know, it's unclear. But the, the major disappointment for me was because Mawson and Chambers – a lot have been made of how they play together at you know England under twenty one level. These are players who supposedly should know how each other play, should know their tendencies, should be a good partnership, and they're really anything but. Uh, Chambers, I'd say, slightly better, probably a four and a half for me. Um, but again, neither of them does. I, I don't think neither of them is going to keep their starting place next week. Next weekend, honestly. Okay, very good. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Timothy Fosu Mensa. Ryan O'Donovan from Football London gives him a six. This is what he wrote. Took a while to get into the game, but started to cause problems down the flank as the first half wore on. 
had a very hot and cold game. Your thoughts about the rating here? I think six is very fair. I thought, you know, first half, I don't think he was great. But second half, we saw a number of those lung-bursting runs that were honestly excellent. I thought service was a bit lacking when he got down to the byline, but the fact that he could, he blew past four players on, on one instance. And he shows, like, when he does have that freedom to attack, he can be so dangerous for us. We don't always see that from the off. So it would be interesting to see if Salisa gives him a bit more freedom in the coming matches to bomb down the right wing more uh, because I think he can be a really good asset for us. Totally agree, Max. You know, it's funny because I think about this all the time. Losing Ryan Fredericks. I think we've upgraded here. I, I know this player is on loan, but I see much more potential in Mensa than I do in Ryan Fredericks. Would you agree with that? And it's a good statement. I think both are players who rely a lot on pace, um, and both are attack are very much attacking minded. But I would venture to say Phyllis Simmons is probably more solid defensively. Right. And uh, going forward, I don't think he has quite. Frederick has exceptional pace. I think that's really sets him apart in the attacking sense. Sure. But Phyllis Simmons, I think, almost has more um, attacking composure at times. So, so I would I would agree with you. And he's a, young, a younger player with more room to adapt. Right. But, you know, he is a Manchester United player, and that kind of shows. You know, he is probably going to be a top club for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't know if we can sign him permanently. That's a long sure. way away. But he is he does have a better, I think, background. Totally agree. And I just see his potential, his upside is higher than Ryan Fredericks. You know what you have with Ryan Fredericks. He's pretty established. I still think we're learning what you actually have with Timothy Fosin Mensa. And uh, he's a lone player, so we'll see what how that all works out. But I, I do like what we could see from him moving forward. I still think that there's a lot of growth there. That's why I wanted to talk about the difference between him and Fredericks from last season, where you know what you're going to get with that guy. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Jean-Michael Serry. Ryan O'Donovan gives him a seven. This is what he said. Got on the ball and looked decent, making some good tackles on the edge of the air while moving the ball nicely to get the side moving forward. Agree or disagree? He was, uh, I'm going to say six. I thought he was he was good for sure, but again, not 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 really what I expected of him. I think you can't really pick apart any big flaws in the, in his game. But I, I just I don't know if this is unfair or not. But let me know, Russ. I just expect a player of his quality to really shine above in matches like this. I think if you look at the quality of the players in the pitch, he's the most talented. Right. He sh- I think he in matches like this, he should be by far and away our best player, best player in both teams. Honestly, it's at home, possession based side. He should dictate the match more and create more going forward. I'm going to be a bit harsh on him just because I expect more of him because I know how good he can be. I just didn't see all of that on Saturday, but I'm not, he didn't play poorly by any means. And his passing, uh, his good vision led to the goal in, in some way. So I'm going to say six. Okay. I understand why you went there because the expectations for several reasons are that he should be at a higher level. Our best player talent-wise, I think he is. So you expect him to be at this elite level each and every match. He's still new to the Premier League, and I'm going to cut him just a little slack on that to be at this elite player each and every match. He's learning his way through it. And I think as we get through the season, Max, you'll see the more consistent performances that I think you're looking for, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure, for sure. And you made a good point. I mean, we, we sometimes we forget with all, all of our new players – a lot of them, have, yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of them have zero Premier League experience at all. It's so difficult to adapt to England. Yeah. Um, probably the best case example of that. I mentioned this a lot. Yep. But Abubakar Kamara, a player right. who I think a lot of us hold in high regard now. I certainly do. But really looked so out of depth early on. But we knew he had the talent. So even for, even for much more talented players, it's always going to be very difficult to adapt to England. Absolutely, and uh, we'll be talking about a player in just a bit, Angisa. I think he's a stereotypical person for this discussion because I can see the potential that he has, and I also see that he needs to learn what he can and what he can't do. And I think that comes with experience playing in the Premier League. I see the potential, but he needs to learn how to adapt to the Premier League. And once he does, I think he's going to be very good for us. It's just a matter of getting used to it. And Sarri, same thing. I just see all the potential. He will be an elite player. It's just a matter of him adapting to the Premier League. That's my feelings on that. All right, Max, let's talk about these two players together. I think it's important. We've talked a great deal about Kevin McDonald, Stefan Johansson. Can they play in the Premier League? 
after playing the championship, being such great players for us last season. So let's talk about them together. And Ryan O'Donovan gives Kevin McDonald a four. He gives Stefan Johans a five. So those are the ratings for these two players. This is what Ryan O'Donovan says about McDonald. Struggled to plug the gap between the defense and the midfield and left his defense way too open to Watford's attackers. Was subbed at halftime. Johansson, Ryan gives a five. Poor performance from Johansson, who struggled with the intensity of the game. Better second-half performance from the Norwegian, but was subbed on the 63rd-minute mark. And in my opinion, you could have subbed Stefan Johansson at halftime as well. He waited a little bit longer. I, I, I do understand that, you know, again, making three substitutes at the same time is, is a risk. But I think, you know, and again, this goes back to the, the discussion earlier on that Savisa was talking about he could have subbed off more players. And I think potentially Johansson could have been one of those players. So what are your thoughts about the ratings here for these two players? And, uh, you know, again, I, I like both of these players. I do. But I'm just starting to get very concerned about how they fit into uh, Fulham's plans the rest of the season. Yeah, I think I think the ratings are spot on. Ken McDonald, he's just too slow. He's too slow to play in the Premier League, and, and that's just an uncomfortable fact. And Johansson, I, I think you made a good point. He could have easily been taken out of halftime. Both these players could have been subbed off. Yeah. But interestingly, I thought he, as Ryan said, he had a better second half. And I think there were times when we saw what Johansson is in the team for, and that's to make the hard challenges and break up Watford play. I remember he made a really nice, strong challenge on Pereira on, uh, on one occasion, as well as just being a bit more aggressive, which is what we need uh, from him. So that, that was nice to see. That's why I think he probably gets a five over McDonald's four. But yeah, as I said, McDonald, he's too slow. He's not mobile. He's not a Premier League player. I'm sorry. It's hard because I agree with you. And uh, he's one of my favorite players. And it's difficult to come to that realization when you look at someone and I still think he has a role. I think they both have a role, but it should be as a substitute or start in certain situations where Savisa thinks that they could be used against a certain opponent. But to start each and every match or to be a regular starter, I just don't see it in the Premier League. And uh, that hurts me to say. But that's the reality when you make the step up to the Premier League. And Fulma brought in a bunch of these players as upgrades. And I think these two players have competition because they were looking for upgrades and that's just the bottom line you know again have some role i just can't see the role being as a as a starter on a regular basis all right let's move on let's talk about vieto luciano vieto we talked about him at the beginning of the show and ryan o'donovan gives him a seven this is what he wrote what decent going forward especially on the counterattack. saw a lot of the ball in the second half and what the likeliest to make something happen up front so seven is the rating for him. I've actually been going back and forth with uh, a phone fan in Spain who has doubts about Vieto because of his lack of scoring ability in his uh, past. And uh, again, there's no like real consistency when it comes to him scoring goals. But I see his value, regardless of how many goals he's scored and what he offers Fulham as being part of that three up front. I, I like Vieto. That's why I'm struggling with the Cessnion and Vieto situation because I see Vieto's potential uh, ability for the rest of the season, Max. I think we might disagree a little bit on his impact, but I like seeing him. I think he's a player that Savisa should be starting on a regular basis. So yeah. I might disagree with me on this, but I like what I see from Vieto, even if – the goals aren't going to be what you would expect from a player that's playing in his position. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a tough one because I think the session of Vieta debate is, is a good one. I think they almost <clears throat> offer you know, polar opposites in, in, what, in what they excel at. Vieto is exceptional in build-up play. His, yeah. his eye for a pass is superb, and he offers so much that energy and feel of the attack. He's going to get involved a lot. But when it comes to being in front of goal, he goes missing, and I think he's a very inconsistent finisher. Right. Probably the biggest example of that was, that. yeah, when Trilla put him through in that first half, you got to score that one on one. You simply have to. I'm sorry. Session, he scores that. Session's always the opposite. I don't think Session offers as much in terms of build up play, but when he gets in front of goal, he gets in superb positions, and he's probably the best natural finisher I've seen in a very long time. We haven't seen him a lot getting in front of goal in the Premier League, but when he's given those opportunities, he takes them 
just with lethal accuracy, which is yeah. something you have to lack. So it's that flip side, you know, which which would you value more? Um, I think Vieta's assist uh, on Saturday, that's going to give him a seven for me. Very, very good eye for a pass. As I mentioned on the post-match show, his, his tenacity and willingness to put his head out there in a dangerous position to touch it past Yanna uh, to get to the ball initially first, very impressive. Uh, and he really put it on, on a plate for Mitro. He did, and I really see what he can bring up front. I think he's dangerous. But to my friend in Spain's credit, he's not a true proven goal scorer. He's not someone that, at this point, we've seen able to do it. He's had his opportunity, so that's the uh, fallback on it. And then, of course, you bring up the point, Jesse Young probably scored some of the goals that Vieto hasn't been able to. So it's this interesting situation. What's more important to you? the player that is going to be part of that build-up play and set things up for his teammates, or the player on the left that can actually score the goals also when you need them to but might not be as big a part as that build-up play. That's that's a, a fascinating situation. I like Vieto, and I'll just be the first to say it, but I, I see uh, why some people are critical of him because of the lack of uh, goals that we've – opportunities he had so far to score goals. All right. Let's now talk about Andre Sherla. Seven for him from Ryan. This is what he said. Decent game from the German who looked good out on the left wing when in possession of the ball. Moved to top of the diamond in the second half and did all right. Do you think he just did all right there, Max? He gives him a seven to talk about with a switch in the second half. I, I thought he was more effective in, the, in that center role, uh, but I thought he did well. Uh, so a bit better. That's what, that's what I did. Uh, yeah. Um, but again, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you like to see him score a goal. Um, he's always going to take a lot of shots. I think the performance really can be capped off with, with the goal would have been best for him. But I think he was a lot more in the match, um, a lot more dangerous when he got played in the defensive role. So you know, that really begs the question, you know, is a four-two-three-one perhaps the best system for us? And that can be really interesting because yeah. I think I, I would like to see Sherla maybe in a more advanced role. And then that, I think that is kind of the perfect way for me to get Sherla, Vieto, and Cessignon all involved. Because I don't think Aite is going to be preferred in front of Sessignon. So let's say that, that obviously Mitro is up top, and that three midfield behind them is Sessignon, Sherla, and Vieto. That could be a very interesting um, formation. I'm wondering what you think of that. I like that. But here's the thing that we're going to have to consider. And while you're saying all this, and I agree with everything that you're saying, we're forgetting about a player that's going to be coming back soon. That's going to give Savisa another quandary to consider. What happens when Tom Kearney returns? Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I think my answer is, I don't know if this leaves us a bit, exposes the back, but I'd say maybe you play Kearney and Severi as your holding midfielder. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, so, many, so many good points, you know. Yeah. You know we have a lot of players coming back with a lot of players on the bench. Where does that leave Anguissa? Where does that leave McDonald's, you know? That's right. So, but, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot to consider. Um, and then, of course, that formation assumes you're playing Joe Bryan, which Lisa looks <laughs> looks like he does not want to at all. A lot so, of moving parts here, my friend. A lot of moving parts. Who would want to be a manager? You know, it's, it's a difficult <laughs> job. <laughs> but it's fun to think about. That's why I'm throwing Kearney back to the mix because that's another situation. And, you know, again, he comes back, you know, because you're thinking that Kearney would play the Sherla role. So that makes things interesting. So what do you do? It's – um. A fascinating uh, discussion. That's why I'm glad we're talking about this because I actually like the option at some point to play four two three one, but you have a lot of moving parts. You do. You you have a lot of different ways you can do that. All right, let's talk about Mitro. We know Mitro is going to be part of any formation that you do. Ryan O'Donovan gives him a seven. This is what he said: was a physical presence up top, but form looked to him too much and have him no support to win the second ball. Got his goal, which was deserved from his performance. Okay, so he gives him a seven. Can I just say I, I I would go a little bit higher, but I understand where Ryan's going because it took him a while to finally uh, get the goal. And then, of course, at the end of the match, I thought he was dominant. But what are your thoughts on a seven? Is Ryan right here? Oh, I don't know. I, I think it's an eight or maybe even higher. I thought he was by far and away our best attacker, our best, honestly, our most dangerous player all match was Mitrovic. And the second half was, I think, very, very, very good. I think he had almost four or five decent opportunities. Of course, he's got his great goal. 
he hit the bar. He had another header that went slightly over. Um, and he had that wonderful long-range long shot that Foster tipped wide. He showed almost every part of his play, his ability to get his head in the ball, his ability to get on low crosses, which I think is sometimes overlooked because everyone focuses on his heading ability. And then he showed his ability uh, to strike from long range and, and, gets, and provide a danger from distance. So for me, it was almost the ideal second half. It would have been a lot better, of course, if he had that header just a little bit lower to get a late winner. But for me, it's, it's an eight and a half for Mitrovic. Okay, and I understand why you went so high. All right, let's do the substitutes all together. I think they all played a role here. And Ryan O'Donovan gives Dennis Adoy a seven, gives Floyd Aite a six, and he gives Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa a six. And this is what he wrote. Dennis Adoy, he, like I said, this is what Ryan said, added some solidity to the defense when he came on at halftime and dealt with Dini reasonably well despite his size. Aite, this is what he said, did fairly well after coming on, saw lots of the ball. And while a few touches were loose, he had a decent game. This is what he said about Nguisa. Was caught in possession in dangerous area almost immediately, which nearly proved costly as Dini powered through on goal. So Nguisa, a six, Aite, a six, and Adoy, a seven. Your thoughts? I, I agree with Nguisa and Aite. I think six is fair for them. They made a really good impact, um, but still had some parts of their match which were lacking, but I think a six is fair. And for Adoy, I'd say... Um, Seven and a half, eight range. Because I really think yeah. he's—I mean—he's been a dark horse for man of the match for a lot of people. Yeah. And totally. undoubtedly, he changed the match. He did what did. Alfie Mawson could not do. Um, and it's—I just always like to marvel at, at a door because so many times he could have been written off. You know, we talk about—I feel like uh, you know, 2017 or even the winter of 2016. People are saying he could have been shipped back. He was very close to moving back to Belgium. Uh, a lot of people. I certainly didn't think he'd play a role at all in the Premier League you know, after sending off um, at Wembley. And look, at, here he is now. He's arguably one of our most assured defenders. So fair, full credit to Dennis Adoy. I think he's a very likable guy and a defender who proves a lot of people wrong very consistently. Okay, very good. Before we wrap up, I want to go back and talk about Nguisa because during our conversation earlier on, we were talking about Seri, you know, being up to this level, being an elite player learning the Premier League. I think Nguisa is one of these players, Max, that just needs time to learn what he can and can't do. I've said that already. If you looked at that situation where he gave away the ball, I think that's a perfect situation that, that we're talking about of him not learning yet what he can and what he can't do. Yeah, he's, he's very much one for the future. And I think a lot of people kind of forget, although what people see is that big price tag we paid for him, you know, around 25 million pounds. And they right. say... If we pay that money, he has to be in the team. There's no use having him on the bench, you know, which is a waste of money. But he's only 22 years old. I know. He's a young player adapting to the Premier League. Give him time. He can't start every match week in, week out. And he's going to take time to get used to England because it's so much different than France. It's, it is. It's so, it's so different. That's why I wanted to bring it up because you expect, because of the price tag, this is part of the problem, that they're just going to be up and running and being at this elite level. And same thing with Seri. You're just expecting it because they paid all this money. Mawson, they paid all this money. All these players you are expecting to be at an elite level because of the money spent. doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you have to give players a chance. And I always use this player as an example, as a reminder of how a player can flourish. And that is, uh, you know, again, a couple of players. I'll, I'll say Clint Dempsey's one of them. You know, um, I will say the other bigger example would be Bobby Zamora. Now, remember Bobby Zamora's first season at Fulham. He didn't score the goals and, and uh, came under a good amount of criticism because he didn't score the goals. Next season, he scored the goals. He needed time to adapt to how Fulham play under uh, Roy Hodgson. It took time for the goals to come. And the fact that he was given that time, he finally flourished in Fulham's system. So I'm saying this about Seri. I'm saying this about a lot of these players. Give them some time to learn how Savisa wants them to play and also how they're going to play within the Premier League. And let's see them grow. Don't give up on these players so early on because uh, you might, you know, be disappointed. You know, and I always think that, you know, each player, Max, and, and this is how we'll finish up the show, 
has uh, their own ability of, of when they become the player that they're going to be for your team. Some pick it up right away. Some from the get-go, you know what you have. Other players, it just takes time to adapt. And I'm, my only point in, in ending the show like this is when we look at some of these players and we understand that the price tags are high on some of these players, give them a chance to adapt before you label them a bust or you label them as they're just not good enough. They're not what I expected. Sometimes you need half a season, a full season to really learn what you have in a player. And I would just go back to Bobby Zamora, Max. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great point to, to harken back to because whenever you move places, even if it's within the same league, there's always going to be you know, a culture shock, adapting, and some players take longer than others. And we have to we have to consider it's only September, you know. It's still very early on in the season. This time last year, where were we? I think either we were losing to Burden or losing to Wolves. We were at our very lowest, so we know how much a season can change. We know how much how players can change. So I know it's very hard to reserve judgment. I, I always find it difficult to do it, but we all have to remember it's still very early on. We have a long way to go. A very long way to go, and I will just add one more point on this because people look at Fulham and just remember the common thread with Slavisa Jokovic's teams in the championship, those those two full seasons, not the one where he came in mid-season. Those two seasons, they both started fairly slow. The first full season, they started hot, but then they went through that, that cool streak, but it really took a while before they started to gain momentum. Last season, they started slow from the get-go. And then it just built and built and built. And I think part of it has to do with, this is just my opinion, the system that you play, getting comfortable within it, and learning how to use that in the week. I'm talking about the solidity of all of your players playing as a unit. It takes time. The possession-based style, I think, takes time to really come together. So remember that when you're watching this team, because I truly believe the second half of the season, we're going to see some special things from this foam side. And I'm not backing down that I can still see Fulham end in 10th. People laughing at me. I've had people, I will continue to say it because I see the potential that this team has. There is so much upside to this team. People will point to Wolves and see how they are right now in the Premier League. You know, again, last season, they were the best team throughout the season in the championship. But look at the end of the season. I can argue that Fulham were the better side the second half of that season, even though Wolves won the league. Fulham came on like crazy. And I'm going to say this right now. I think that there's a potential that it could happen again with Fulham and Wolves. We'll see if I'm right because I think there's more upside to how Fulham play than how Wolves play. Wolves are a great team and they have it down. They know who they are. Let's see when Fulham know who they are, who's the better team. I'll leave you with that. Max, great show, my friend. Fantastic show. Any final words before we go? Yeah, final words. I just like to say I I, I love what you're saying about Fulham and Wolves and just a point about that. You know, so little is going to separate 10th from 15th, let's say, in the Premier League right. season. It's so tight. I can easily say saying finishing 10th, it sounds like a lot. It's really not that lot. I agree with you there. Just also, remember Crystal Palace last season. Exactly, exactly. Missing. Yeah. Also, let's just talk about Watford for a second because I feel like sure. we need to put in perspective who we were playing. Yep. Watford beat Brighton 2-0. They beat Burnley 3-1. They beat Palace 2-1. They beat Tottenham 2-1. And then they lost to United, and they drew us. This is a team who won four of its first four matches, beat teams like Tottenham, beat a team we lost to in Palace, beat a team we drew with in Brighton. This result, I think, a lot of fans, for whatever reason, thought it would be a win, thought we had to win it. A draw is a very good result, considering how well this Watford team started. And we're only the second team in the Premier League to take points off them. That needs to be said more often. Overall, looking back, the point gets better and better as I look at it. You know, next season away at Everton, this is a team that lost at home to West Ham. Ham. The first yep. points of the season, we put in a pretty meek away performance at Arsenal, who um, played Huddersfield, and I think drew at home to Huddersfield or did not play well at all against Huddersfield. We can go to Goodison Park maybe for the first time in a very long time and hopefully expect to win. <sighs> I cannot wait to talk about that because you are on my wavelength when it comes to Everton. And uh, I know the history, and uh, I will just say that records were meant to be broken. That's all I'm going to say on that. We'll yeah. see. We'll, we'll see on that. I think that there's an opportunity there. And we'll talk about that um, during the week, and we'll obviously have our trilogy of what I call our post-match shows. So 
great show, my friend, but let's wrap this up. For Max Cohen, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.